beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. These opening words crafted by the gospel writer of John establish uh, in essence, the purpose of the book of John, which we are studying together. And I invite you to turn to the opening chapter of that book as we continue. There's two foundational themes that we hear in this book, and they, they appear in these first four verses, that Jesus is God, and secondly, that Jesus is life. Jesus is God, and Jesus is life. And this purpose is actually restated at the very end of the book as well. We'll look just a second. Before Siri and Alexa showed up on the scene, they're actually not real people, by the way. <laughs> but we had these pieces of paper. Uh, I remember them in the back of the car that my, my parents drove in. They were in the back of my car. I'm old enough. They were called maps. Do you remember those? You remember those maps? We used to get maps from AAA. They were called, anybody? Triptychs, is that what they're called? And if you don't know what they are, you would actually call them. I don't think you. I don't remember how we actually got them. I don't think the internet, Al Gore, had invented it yet. But I don't. I don't know how we got them. But we would call and say, "Hey, we're going on a trip from Boone, North Carolina, to Colorado Springs," and they would like put together all these little pamphlets and books, and they'd put it together and they'd send it to you, and then page by page. You'd go on your trip. Every, every significant turn, you'd follow the map. Do you remember those? Remember doing that? Yep, I see that hand. Hallelujah. Do you still do it? <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of Siri and Alexa? <laughs> oh, it's Gary that does it. Oh, okay. Still do it. So I guess it's still a thing. Well, anyway, what's the most important thing of the book? The, the, the last page. You want to get there, right? It's easy to like stop and take the little detours, but, but the last page. You, you want to get to where you want to go, and that, that's, what, that's what John has done. John chapter 20, he says, this whole thing. I'm at the very end of this, this picture, the story of Jesus, and he says in John 20, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in the book. Couldn't do them all, but these things... All that we're going to encounter in the next months together. Uh, but these things are written to you for, for what reason? That you may believe two things. He's the Son of God and that you might have life. See the, that echo from the very first verses? That you're the Son of God and that you might have life. When, it's, when, we say, when John uses the word, the Son of God, that, say, saying that Jesus is God... When he uses this, he's actually, he has the Trinity in mind. He's saying that, that Jesus is divine. He's the Son of God. He's, he, along with the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're, they're equal in essence. They're distinct in their function, but, but he is God. This was a radical statement to make. The second theme, that Jesus is life. His life, he says, is light that pierces the darkness of the fallen world. Jesus is a very present life, is a light that is among us, giving life to all who will, as John invites, all who will believe. 
And what we'll see today, what we already heard in our text this morning, is that those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the light of the world, they receive life. And, and this life becomes light that points to Jesus as the Son of God. And the invitation is extended over and over again. Really, come. Come and see. I'll show you. Let me show you the Son of God. Come and see. And so that's the invitation for us today, that you would come and see this Christ. Before we go further, let's pray together. Father, our ambition today is to see Jesus as the Son of God, the one who gives life. And in harmony with John, that we might believe and have life. Would your Spirit do his work among us to bring glory to our Savior as we pray in his name together. Amen. We may have noticed in the reading this morning that these opening verses in this chapter 1, John recounts part of the story kind of like a diary. Uh, you know, a diary doesn't contain everything about the day, but a diary does contain kind of the highlights, right? Anybody keep a diary or a journal? We just kind of keep the highlights, the most important things. So we're going to spend the next three days together not really, but there are three days. You'll notice in verse 29, we started today, uh, actually we started a little bit earlier with this one, verse 29, uh, the next day, John introduces Jesus and John the Baptist there. Then we jump to verse 35 where we started today. Uh, the next day is an introduction of Andrew and another disciple, Peter. And then finally, verse 45, the next day, an introduction to Philip and Nathaniel. Since it's the first of the next days in this series of three next days, we're going to backtrack a little bit in the story, and we're going to begin at verse 29 and, and do a bit of a recap from David's message last week. Father David pointed out, if you recall, John the Baptist's humility. He had every opportunity to be, to be the guy, didn't he? He was set up. He, he, had a high pro, he was a high-profile prophet, with a following, he was every politician's dream. Many people came to John, who from the beginning was immersed in these, the promises of this coming Messiah. Interestingly, if you're reading along in the daily office, you would have read yesterday the story of John and Zechariah, his father. Zechariah was a high priest who had a visit from the angel Gabriel Usually when the angel Gabriel shows up, something, something big is going to happen, right? And it did. Telling him that he and Elizabeth, who happened to be Mary's cousin, they're going to have a baby boy, and he was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. At John's birth, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied these words that we now pray in our daily office prayer time. Some of you may have prayed this prayer this morning. Uh, we're not going to do the whole prayer, but let, let's read it together. The last section of this prayer of Zechariah. Let's read it. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins 
in the tender compassion of our God. The dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Imagine John's life. We, we don't really know at what age he went off into the desert when he decided that camel hair was like the fashion choice or when locusts and honey was like a thing he really enjoyed. We don't, we don't know much about him at all. But we do know this about John the Baptist. He knew who he was not. He was a prophet. He was a, a pointer. He lived a radical and an extraordinarily humble life. A Jesus pointing life. You remember all the images from last week? This is one of my favorites. That is Jesus pointing to the, the Son of God and the, the Lamb of God. That, that's John the Baptist. That was his life. His role was to, to clear the way, to level out a path, to point to Jesus. There is a sense that John the Baptist models for us how we are to live our lives. Humbly, simply, pointing. He lived a kind of a, come I'll show you. Let me, let me show you the Messiah kind of life. We're going to see that borne out in the disciples who followed him. The second observation in this section, and it's important for us to see that this Son of God, this divinity of Jesus theme is, is named again. Just like in the opening verses, uh, John the Baptist is echoing these. Look at verse 15. The account says that John bore witness to him. He said, there he is. And then in verse 34, John, the gospel writer, closes out this whole day, this first day that we're talking about in the journal, the diary. He says, I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. You see the theme? Don't forget the theme. Let's move to the next day, our text for today. That could be the longest introduction you've ever heard, by the way, but not really introduction. It's foundational. So the next day, verse 35, here's John standing with two of his disciples and presumably many other people around who are following. Uh, people maybe actually looking for Jesus. One of them we know, his name is Andrew. The other is unnamed. Both are eyewitnesses. Andrew was a fisherman just like his brother Peter that we heard his words this morning, at some point in his life, he began to follow John the Baptist. It seems that when John the Baptist pointed out Jesus, that Andrew didn't hesitate. It was though he, he'd been preparing right alongside with his teacher to recognize Jesus when they saw him. And so when they heard John the Baptist say, there he is, the Lamb of God, Andrew, and this other disciple, they followed immediately. And so it, and historically, we say that Andrew is the first disciple to be introduced, the first of the 12 to be introduced to Jesus. But to be fair, the other disciple, I believe he was all in too. We're just not told who he is. John, the gospel writer. By the way, I, I wish they had last names. It would be easier to actually say, you know, John G or something, but we don't have that. So forgive me if I have to make those clarifications along the way. 
For some reason, John, the writer, did not think it was important to give this other disciple's name. Uh, but some scholars, there's been wrestling over the years, uh, they think they know who it is. Most have landed that it was actually John, the writer himself. It would explain all of his details in the eyewitness account that we have from him throughout this story and uh, this passage and all throughout the gospel, and, and perhaps even following the, the, the humble, simple uh, posture of John the Baptist himself. Uh, who knows? But let's, let's just say it's John for now. As the story unfolds, uh, Andrew doesn't waste any time, does he? Verse 41, first he found his own brother, Peter. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think Andrew got it quite right. I, shouldn't he go to a Bible study first? I think he should take some classes on evangelism just so he's more prepared to actually go and talk about Jesus. I mean, what if he says something wrong? I saw a t-shirt yesterday, uh, a guy in a, um, who's in an ice cream truck, <laughs> and it said, sarcasm is my, uh, is my way of life. And a lady standing outside the uh, truck said, hey, I really like that shirt. Is she being, <laughs> is she being sarcastic? I don't know if she's being sarcastic. <laughs> uh, just, just a thought. It's not in my notes. <laughs> Next service, I will not use that one. Well, evidently, Peter didn't get the memo. He jumped right in, and in these, these opening verses, uh, John outlines through, through Andrew again. He says, uh, to make Jesus known as the Son of God, he says, he found Peter, and he says, come, come and see. Well, that seems pretty simple, right? The Son of God is over here. Come and see. Come, let me take you to him. Come, let, let Jesus show you who he is. And upon arriving, this is so beautiful, upon arriving, verse 42, Jesus looked at Simon Peter and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. Now don't miss this. Andrew says, come and see. They arrive and Peter is already known by Jesus. He wasn't introduced to him. Not only does he know him, he knows who Peter will become. The rock, the foundation of the church. Imagine looking for the Messiah, the only one who can bridge this gap between God and man. Only discover that when you get there, he's been looking for you. Boy, that's a twist of the story. It should be a great relief to us, by the way. A great relief to those of us who are reluctant to talk about Jesus, reluctant to share the story of the good news for the fears of reception, uh, or whatever your fears are for, for not living the life of Christ. Be reminded that God is always a work, is at work ahead of the work that you are doing. Our job is not to convince or to coerce in some way, but to simply extend the, the come and see invitation and to allow them to be welcomed by the one who already knows them, the one who knows who they will become. This is the divine Son of God that we're talking about, the one who knows their name and he knows your name. 
Well, the next day is upon us, verse 43. On this day, we meet two more disciples, Philip and Nathaniel, Andrew, Peter, probably John, and Jesus make their way to Galilee, where we presume Andrew, consistent with the rest of the story. He finds Philip, a friend from their hometown, and he tells, tells them about Jesus. Philip answering Jesus' invitation to follow him immediately gets on the move, following Andrew's pattern, and he finds Nathaniel. And what does he do? Look at it. He points to Jesus. He says, we found him. Come and see. There it is again. And verse 47, just as with Peter, the same response of our Savior. Jesus knows Nathanael. He saw him coming and, and, and he said, look, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. He knew his character. Jesus knows Nathanael's skeptical as well. He, that snide remark that, that he made about Nazareth, can anything good come from that God-forsaken place? How could, literally, how could a Messiah come from nowhereville? I mean, that's where it was, nothing. Nothing comes from nothing. At least not the Messiah he was looking for. And Jesus also knows that he's religious. How do we know that? Oh, this great little idiom that that's kind of slips by us. But he says he sees, sees Nathaniel under a fig tree. Do you know where rabbis taught students? Under a fig tree, right? It's just a student. He knew he was religious. He was looking. He, was, he actually may have been looking for the Messiah in study. And because of the faithful invitation of John the Baptist, the invitation of Andrew and Philip, verse 49 now Andrew believes, excuse me, Nathaniel believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There it is, the theme again. Unlike that telephone game that we played as kids, you know, the one where we start over here with a little phrase and we share it in one another's ear. And by the time we get over here, we've got some convoluted story that's so crazy it doesn't resemble, right? Because we are so dependent on every person trying to explain, explain, and get it all just right. What's happening here is all they said all the way along. Hey, come and see. Come and see. So when we got to Nathaniel, the integrity of the story was, hey, this is the Son of God. Because Jesus is proving himself to be so. The diary entry almost feels like it's complete at this point, doesn't it? We could stop here. Hey, Nathaniel just saw Jesus. But then... But then Jesus, he jumps in and uses this verily, verily phrase. It's kind of, when that happens in Scripture, it's like, listen, something really important. In fact, if you thought the other stuff was important, this is really, really important. Verily, verily. I'm going to use that just in socially this week on Facebook. Verily, verily. You should not, no, you want to do that. These words are there to get your attention. Verily, verily. It means listen up. And so look at me at verse 51. And he said to them, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
really? What does that have to do with this story? I mean, honest confession. I, it's like, I don't, I don't get it. It seems cryptic. This is a riddle. Is this one of these parables, Jesus? Is this one of your first? Are we trying to figure it out? Well, here Jesus references an Old Testament story that Nathaniel would have known well about Jacob and Esau. You can write down the, uh, the address of it, maybe look at it later, Genesis 28. We're going to look at verses 13 and 15. The story kind of goes like this. After Jacob had deceptively stolen the birthright or blessing from his father, uh, from Esau, his brother, Jacob's father sent him off to find a wife. And during his travels, he fell asleep, and he had this dream where the angels of God were uh, descending and ascending. You, you kind of remember that story? That's this story. It was familiar. It's an ancient picture, uh, culturally an ancient picture, because the gods were up here, and the, the people were down here. And if you wanted to get to God, you had to ascend up to the God. The gods never came down here. You had to ascend. The, the temples constructed in the same way. How did the priests get to the, the Holy of Holies? They would, they would have to ascend to the Holy of Holies and, and be with the God, the gods. Here, God speaks to Jacob in this story, and he says, Jacob's asleep. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac. And then in verse 15, here's the foreshadowing. This is what Jesus is referring to. He says, we're given this foreshadowed picture that God would now come down to us. He says, behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. Wait a minute, you're there, how can, what, what's he saying? What's that, what's that foreshadowing? Well, Jacob wakes up from a dream and he gets it. He says, how awesome is this place? So he builds an altar. Do you remember what the altar's called? Bethel. Beth-el, the house of God. That's what the altar's called. The house of God. God's saying, hey, no longer will you have to ascend to me, but I am coming down and I am going to dwell among you in Bethel. Foreshadowing, now we look to Jesus. This is God's dwelling place. This is where God comes down and God will make his dwelling among his people. This should sound wonderfully familiar to you. Because by referencing this story, Jesus is saying, in me, heaven has opened up and I am here. I am God. I am fully man. Because the only time this next phrase is used is by Jesus himself. He says, I am the son of man. I am fully, I am this divine God of the universe, and I am the son of man. I am fully human, and I am here with you. Other than Daniel and Ezekiel, Jesus is the only one that uses this phrase. He's saying to Nathaniel, he's saying to us, he says, I am the only way to heaven. I am the only bridge between God and humanity. I am your long-awaited Messiah, the fulfillment of that promise by the prophets. 
I am God's presence on earth. I am the light of the world. We began back at verse 34 when John the Baptist bears witness and he says that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is fully God. And then we end verse 51. Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. I am fully human. I am here to dwell among you, to give you life and light. And these truths, and to these truths, John the Baptist and Andrew, and John, and Peter, and Philip, and eventually Nathaniel, all say, come and see. Come and see this God who is now among us, who is with us. There's really only one question for us to respond to this today. And the question is, have you? Have you heard the invitation? Have you turned from yourself and your own pursuits and who you're trying to be and trying to become? Have you turned to see this Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man who is among us? Have you ever said, like these first disciples, yes, I believe I'll follow him? If not... Hey, there's no better day than today. Hear the invitation. Come and see. If not today, join us for the next many weeks together because this is the beginning of Jesus showing his goodness and his glory, his amongness with us. You will see him. One of the beautiful details that we pointed out earlier that John includes are those moments that Peter and Nathaniel came to Jesus and he already knew them. That's not a slip of John's pen at all. It's the reality. When you come to Jesus, when we come to him, it's no surprise to him. He's waiting. He's saying, yeah, well, how's it going? I've been waiting for you. By the way, here's your new name. Here's who you're going to become in Christ. The second part of the question, uh, have you, is if you do believe, to whom will you extend the invitation? Come and see. For, for John, the gospel writer, there is a correlation between believing and this having life. We saw it in chapter 20. What he means is that once we were dead in our sin, we, we didn't have the ability to, to reproduce life, to, to generate something new. But when, when, when we believe, He gives us life. He animates that which is dead and brings it back to life. And the next step or the natural byproduct is that we shine forth. When He says He is light and life, He says, now you are. It's not just so that you get a ticket to heaven. We, we get to shine because that's God's primary means of proclaiming the gospel in the world is through, through us. Primary means. Our job is not to prove Jesus. He'll, he'll take care of that. Our job is to shine. And so to our friends, our coworkers, we just simply live a life that says, 
Come. Come and see. Come and see the Son of God. The Son of Man who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Son of God, giver of life. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enliven us to be a people of invitation to come and see Jesus in our words, in our work, in our art, in our giving, in our compassion, in our grief, in our joy, in our new life. May Christ be seen in all his glory. We pray in his mighty name. Amen. Well, one more prayer. Sorry, it was a false ending. One more prayer. Um, I want to give you a little heads up on a prayer that you pray, that we pray together every week. Because it's a sending prayer. You know, when we gather for worship, it's kind of in four parts. We have the, the, a gathering, we have the word, we have the table. And the last part is actually a, a formal part called the sending. And we pray this prayer every week. And I just want to get you a heads up and let you practice it one time. Because it's a strong prayer that you'll pray. We will pray together as we leave. Here's the prayer. After our communion, we pray this together. And now, Father... Send us out to do the work that you've given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.